Hi, everybody, and welcome to Phillies Backstage. Tom Burgoyne along with John Brazier. And, John, we have been talking about having this guy on for a long, long time. Now, I'm not just saying this because he's on the air right now. He's about to come on with us. But it is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, but you say that about everybody. No, but this one has a special <laughs> place in my heart no, because uh, it, he's a great storyteller. Uh, I stole, and we'll talk about this, yes. I stole one of his sayings that for the last 30 years I've been saying it. And uh, let's just bring him on right away. Uh, well, you know what, John? This guy played in, uh, had 14 seasons in the bigs, right? Five year, uh, five different teams. He's been with the Kansas City Royals for a long time as a commentator. That's how maybe people know him now. But I'm going to introduce him as ex-Philly, number 14, Rex, the Wonder Dog, Hudler. What's up, Hud? Oh, you guys <laughs> got goosebumps running down my redheaded spine. Nice. That's a beautiful thing. What a wonderful time of year. I enjoyed the, the fighting this year all the way. My heart broke, too, like a lot of people. Mm. But you know what? There's next year, and let's hope that they can try to do it three years in a row, which is very difficult. But, guys, look, the grand game is so special. And it's, and it's, it's, it's played by some of the world's greatest athletes, and you guys have a whole team of them. So a lot of fun. This season, you guys have to be pretty pleased with how it turned out. Although, I mean, you want to win the game, win it all, but what's wrong with going all the, uh, close to it all the way? Well, yeah. look, looking back on it, obviously, since we've got some time removed, uh, yes, we can say it was a great season. But I got to say, this one, uh, even though we were one game away last year, this one burned because I just we saw a clear path, and the team was on such a roll, and the team was so much fun. Last year was fun too, but this year's was just really, like, you could tell these guys loved each other and just, you know, all the celebrations, you know, after the games, when the game, when they started the game, would get the water dumped over them. And <laughs> they, it was just, there was a special bond between the fans and the players. And I think that's what made the ending so harsh. Great. Look, when the Royals came to town for three-game series over the weekend, it was really special. It was in August. And you could tell everything that you just said that the fans showed up like it was a playoff game. It was it was the first time that the fans started cheering for Turner. Yep. Remember, yep. whoever whoever spurred the fans on to, to do that, it was awesome. And to be uh, in that ballpark and to feel the energy, a playoff atmosphere in August, you could tell right away that the Fightings were were in the battle for sure. And the passionate fans, I'll never forget it. My little short time there was a beautiful thing to be able to experience the fight and fields. But you know what? It's the people. It's the people that made me and Jennifer want to come back and live there and be a part of that city. Man, because there's so much passion there and people care. You're not just a number. And, uh, you know, just a, a wonderful place. We got encouraged. We had just had our son Cade with up syndrome. You know, we call it, we'll call it down syndrome. But he had... We had just had him, and we went to Philly, and the, the people, they lifted me up, and, and they, they made, made us feel like we were special, and they congratulated us. And, 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 you know, we, up to that point, had not had that positivity anywhere, let alone Philly. The reputation of supposedly the Philly fans have, uh-uh, I saw the exact opposite, nothing but love and encouragement. 
Yeah, that's. I'm so happy you said that, uh, Hud, because uh, John and I are from here. You know, whether it's a bad, you know, reputation these fans get or the city gets, it's insane. It's the the city of brotherly love is is so true, and uh, there's a lot of heart in the city, as you know. And how cool was it when you were back here? I know. Uh, I think Scott Branderth, our director of promotions, uh, knew you were coming back in and said, "Hey, we should, uh, you know, have Rex on the field for photo day. That's when we bring all our fans down on the field. We have." Have our players, but we also have broadcasters and whoever else is in and uh, is in town. But uh, so great that you were able to, you know, walk around with your Philly jersey yeah, on. Well, that, we we had to get clearance, time. Rex, right, right? right? We had to get clearance right. through the Royals. Make sure you're okay. You know, wearing a Phillies uh, uniform. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but look, I, that was really special. I that that never happens because you're rarely in a in a town that you played in. And I was never a star player. I was always a a guy that was a blue-collar worker, played different positions, could help out, fill a spot anywhere. But that particular day, Brazier, John, you, you're unbelievable. I got to the booth around 3 o'clock, and there's Brazier waiting for me. And I'm nice. like, whoa, John, what's up? I hadn't seen him in a while. And then he goes, hey, Hud, uh, I'm going to get you a jersey, and we want you to come down on the field and hang out. And I go, dude, there's nobody going to know me. They didn't know me when I played there. How they going to know me now? He goes, Hud. Just come on down. And so I, I had to accept the invitation because it was so exciting. To, and and to, to be a part, to feel like I was a part of the Phillies again, really warmed my heart. And to go on that field and then to, to, to get a selfie with, uh, 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 who's, I can't think of your, your Schwarber. Schwarber, Schwarber yeah. was down there. And I walked up to him and, and he looked at me and he, he's like, who's this guy? And I go, hey, Schwarber, that was a fight at one time. Can I get a selfie? And he had a big old smile, and, and, and I got a little picture with him. And then there was a guy that was on the field that was doing the, the interviewing with the, with the players and with different people in the Phillies, and he interviewed me. And I'm thinking, sir, look, he, I'm the last guy you probably want to interview here. But it was so fun. And, of course, the Royals and all of our, all of our front office people that, was, that were there saw that on the field. They were like, Hud, you must have been a star here. And I went, uh, <laughs> no, I was not a star. But uh, had so much fun. Loved it. You know, the three days there to feel that energy was, was really something good, especially for our young players to see that. Yep. Well, let's talk about your time with the Phillies because, you know, as Tom mentioned, you had a, you know, a long career. You're with the, uh, you were drafted by the, well, let's go all the way back because you were drafted by the Yankees, but you almost didn't go baseball because you played another sport. Yeah, you know, I, was, I had a full ride to a place called Notre Dame, and then there was a no-name quarterback named Joe Montana yeah. that would have been my quarterback. Uh, and, and that was in 1978. They had just come off a national title, um, winning the Cotton Bowl uh, the year before in 77. And then um, what an incredible uh, uh, run it was there. And my senior year in high school, it was just way too overwhelming. Took my five visitations to the colleges. You know, I went to Notre Dame and – and Michigan State, Kirk Gibson showed me around the campus there. I went to Berkeley. I went to UCLA and, and Arizona State and did all that stuff. And then baseball was the last sport of, of, the, of the year in, in high school for me. And I played to have fun because I was already signed uh, a letter of intent. And, um, and so baseball, I was relaxed and played. Here's 30 scouts on the side of the field in all my games. And, I'm, and, 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 and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I love this attention. Look, this is my last time I'll ever play baseball again, probably. I'm going to show these guys what I could do. 
And so instead of playing tight, I played sphincter free. I like the year. You know, that's a term that, that, that we can get away with on the podcast, I think. Yep. But, but so you, when you play like that, you go ahead. That, that's when you're, you're at your best. And I remember the scouts would call uh, um, in my uh, home in Fresno, California, uh, off the wall. Of course, we didn't have cell phones then. So they, you know, I would hear my mom pick up the phone and I would hear her say, don't waste your pick. My son's going to college. He's going to get a, a degree at Notre Dame. Don't waste your pick because, because he's not going to sign. Right. So I heard her saying that constantly. I'm going, Mom, really? Are you making the right decision? Don't worry about it, son. So sure enough, I came home from draft day. I came home from school. No big deal. I didn't stay home for the draft. Back then, you know, they let you know by, by a phone call or by a, 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 a telegram, I think it was. Anyway, so I walked in the door. Mom, anybody draft you? Anybody call today? She goes, yeah, the damn Yankees drafted. Uh, <laughs> so thrilled. Go, what'd, you, what'd you tell them? I told them they wasted their pick. I said, you told them that? Mom, way to go. She goes, no. You know, they'll call back. So a week goes by, nothing, no call, no no, no, nothing. I said, Mom, you scared them off. She goes, no, no, they'll, they'll come around, son. Sure enough, a guy named Al Rosen, the vice president for – the New York Yankees and Steinbrenner and then Jack Butterfield, a top executive, show up in their suits at my front door. My mom sends me out to Mama Mia's pizzeria to get me a pizza and, and, and says, come back in 45 minutes, son. Uh, okay, mom. You know, we didn't talk about it or anything. She just sent me out. I come back in, uh, come back to my house. I, I try to get in the front door. It's locked. I knock on my own front door. My mom opens the door and goes, congratulations, son. You're a Yankee. Wow. What, what turned it? So, the money, I, or the money, cake. I guess. Mr. Mr. Steinberg's cake, man. The cake. He offered, cake. She, she, she didn't want me around to jump at any of their first offers, so that's why she sent me out. Wow. She knew they were going to be talking to negotiate, so she got it all the way up to 150 grand, and and then said, "Okay, well, he, he's yours." That's true. So, wow. Well, what? I, a, so then, yeah, go ahead. No, you're good. Hey, so then all of a sudden, everything changed, and now. Mr. Steinbrenner wants to meet me, so they flew me to New York City, and I got to meet the boss, and all I said was, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, because I was so intimidated. I'm 17 years old, and, and George Steinbrenner invites me in his office at pinstripe carpeting and baseball gloves for the for furniture. Uh, just, just, it was like a, one of the best recruiting trips I was ever on, and I already signed. Uh, you know, So I went up to upstate New York and only on and started my career and uh, had no idea that it was going to take me Part of 10 years in the minor leagues to become a Sabbath in the big league. So it was a real rough journey for me growing up, learning how to handle life in baseball and how to handle stuff and just all on the field, off the field. Uh, I took my lumps and then I got tired of running. Yeah, this is the part I love because you, you wrote a letter, right, to Steinbrenner? <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? This was uh, about, about, mm, about my sixth year with the Yankees, and I had been in A ball for all six years since the Florida State League which never happens in the modern game today. Never. A guy going to be six years in the minors. So we're getting ready to go to Bay Harbor Inn. That's George's a hotel he owns. And so we, we stayed there. And so I, I put together a real short a short note and said, Dear Mr. Steinbrenner, um, I, I, I would have already graduated from Notre Dame by now, would have already started my, pro, my professional football career. And instead, I'm six, my sixth year in A-ball, I haven't even got out of A-ball yet. Would you, and I'm presently hitting 300. Would you please consider a promotion? 
All my best, Rex Hudman. Okay, take <laughs> it to that. the Bay Harbor Inn. Take it to the Bay Harbor Inn. I, I, I uh, took my letter, folded it nicely, put it all, put it in, it, and offered it to the to the secretary that was there at the front desk. And I said, "Ma'am, when Mr. Steinbrenner comes to town sometime this summer, would you please give this to him?" She goes, "Oh, sure, I'll take it up to him. He's here right now." And I went, "Oh my gosh, man, nice. my booty got tight. I got tight because I was." You know, you, you write a letter to George Steinbrenner like that, you know, that, that took a lot of hair. And so I, I was, but I was so upset at, at not being moved because Steinbrenner, he would buy all of his players. So he'd buy them at the top level, all these free agents, so it logjammed the system. Nobody ever moved out of the system. So yep. frustration came out a little bit. We get to the game in, in St. Petersburg, Al Lang Field there, where we used to uh, train, or where we used to play the Cardinals there. And uh, there he is, sitting in the stands with Stump Merrill, George Steinbrenner, 4 o'clock in the afternoon in St. Petersburg. Nobody in the stands but those two guys. And I'm out there playing catch. Man, I'm getting my stomach all worked up because I'm a little bit nervous. And so when Stump Merrill's done with his meeting, he comes down the field, and I said, Stumpy, did he, did he mention anything about the letter? And Stump Merrill chewed on his tobacco to make it. Uh, make make the drama even better. He, and he spits. He spits right right in front of me, and he goes, "Kid, he loved it." And I went, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that! It's so good." So I went in the clubhouse and blew the commode up because my belly was just boiling. I was I was rolling. I was so nervous. And then uh, played the game, got a couple hits for him, and then bust back to Fort Lauderdale. And the next morning at six o'clock, phone rang. You're going to AAA, pal. Yeah. Nice. It worked. Morning. It worked. Yes, it did. It worked. He's the <laughs> boss said, hey, look, I like this kid. So, of course, I had a talk with myself on the airplane flying there to Columbus, Ohio. Self, you pop off to a guy like that and you go up there and lay an egg, you're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you didn't, Rex. You didn't lay the egg, man. Look at you. No, no, no. I went off, and next thing you know, they're talking about trading Willie Randolph for me, and I'm going, uh, so I could become second base there, and I'm, thank God they didn't do that. Yeah, exactly. Right. That would have been too much. I know. And then uh, from the Yankees, I know you went, uh, you know, Orioles, Expos, uh, but I know in, in the middle there, you had a little time in Japan. What was your experience in Japan like? Some incredible season. Uh, you know, I, I tell a lot of people it's one of the best summers I, I ever had in baseball, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here in America, but man. It was learning a different culture. They paid me a million bucks, and I had just come off a $400,000 contract with the Cardinals, which was good money. I'm, I was always happy with being in the big leagues. But a million bucks to play baseball in the summer in Japan? Yeah. Jennifer, let's go. Pack the bags. We're out. <laughs> so sure enough, we went out there. And, and, and now, um, the uh, this was in 1993. And in 92, uh, 1991, 92, I was with the Cardinals. And so Tom Selleck had been – uh, training for this baseball movie he was going to make. Yeah, sure. And so, yeah, so he came around to the Cardinals and took BP with our team, you know, did all the smooth and photographs with the wives and all that stuff, you know, because that's when Tom Selleck was Tom Selleck. Oh, yeah. And so that was fun. And then he, uh, so, so all of a sudden, Mr. Baseball comes out, and I didn't know it. The next year in 93, we're flying to Japan, me and Jennifer, and there's Tom Selleck and Mr. Baseball. We, they showed the movie on the 13-hour flight. Wow. So I watched it. I watched it. And I, I, I kind of enjoyed it, but I was guarded because here is this guy who goes to Japan. He's American. You know, he learns how to play baseball. Just what I was heading into. And so then experienced nine months of the Japanese game, including 
winning the Japan World Series. And then we get back on the plane nine months later, and we fly home, and guess what movie they're playing again? Mr. Baseball. It's it's Mr. Baseball. And, man, I laughed my backside off because I had just experienced it. Now I saw the whole the whole movie the way it should be through the eyes of a guy who just did it. And I loved it. That's why it was one of my favorite baseball movies. Um, but to experience the love and the joy that people had uh, for, for players, there was no booing. They, they didn't boo. They always had a real self-appreciation of players and their work. And they treated players like they were like they were uh, matinee idols. It was amazing the energy that these that the crowd brought. But you know what? I didn't care. I didn't care what they said about me. I didn't care what they wrote about me because I couldn't read any of this stuff or hear or understand any of their language. All I did was smile and loved on the people and gave the peace sign and, and just went out and played ball and hit 300. I was the only American to hit 300 in the, uh, in the top 10. Uh, gosh, I learned how to hit a breaking ball better. And I had no idea that that was the season that was going was gonna to get me back in, in shape and actually get me into a, a better playing condition and learn how to hit that breaking ball. And I came back to the big leagues, and I, uh, I, I already had five years in. Going to Japan really brushed me up, and it freshened me up. And then I got was able to get the rest of my service time in and get my full pension now, because Rick, of that. Well, I was going to say, yeah. if, I, if I remember correctly, too, uh, not only just your, your, your playing ability over in Japan, but you were also infamous – for something you did, you, you you did something in St. Louis. I know you ate a June bug and you won a bet. Yeah. But over in Japan, you also someone didn't you eat something over there and they made a big cartoon book out of Rex Huller, you know, facing. Tell, oh, tell that story. What? Yeah, it's oh, okay. crazy. I, I do have a little character in me, and I have some fun. I like to motivate my team, uh, all those kind of things. Yeah, the, the cardinal cardinal thing was a, a, a June bug flew on my hat sitting on the dugout sitting in the top steps of the dugout. This is before they had the screens in front of the dugout. Anyway, uh, you know, they said, hey, eat it. So I wasn't totally prepared to eat it, the June bug, until I I, I finally uh, thought this would be a pretty good business opportunity right here. Okay, how much you give me? <laughs> yeah. Tom Pagnozzi goes, 10 bucks. I said, 10 bucks? Shake yourself. You're a big leaguer, man. That's embarrassing. <laughs> he goes, 100. I said, now we're talking. I went on down the line. 100, 100, 100, 100. Finally, I'm getting close to Whitey Herzog, the manager, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. I, I'm going to get in trouble. This is right in the middle of the game. We're getting <laughs> yeah. beat by-. So I started back down the other way. Eight guys said, hey, uh, we'll give you 800 bucks. I said, okay. They said, we have a stipulation. You have to chew the bugs. And I said, okay, I, I got a stipulation. I don't chew anything until I get the cash in my hand. <laughs> in the middle of the game. The guys all get up. They go into their valuable box. They get hundreds. You know, even back then, players had hundred dollars in their wallet. So you know, yeah, you know, the money's not like it is today. It still was pretty good. So they slap all these hundreds in the middle of the game. I put that uh, that cash in my uniform pocket. I pulled that June bug off my hat, man, and chewed him up like a sunflower seed. And my and I showed him on my tongue to the guys. I went ah, and they just freaked out. Now, okay, so I told that story to my to my teammate, Jack Howell, who was my only American teammate. So we're on the artificial turf field in Japan, and he and, 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 and uh, there was an earthworm out there. And he picks up the earthworm, and he tells my guys uh, on a Monday workout day where there's nobody in the stands, there's no coaches around or nothing, and he tells them, hey, if you'll eat this worm, how much will you pay him? And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of – 
strange things that, that they eat over there. But so this won't be a big deal. Well, obviously they thought that was pretty wild and, and maybe unclean. And they were all cracking up laughing and saying, no way. So he, Jack raised 2000 bucks. Wow. Uh, American, American, a lot yeah. of yen. So he, he told me, he looked at me and he's holding this earthworm. He goes, huh, 2000 bucks. And I went over there and I just stooped down and opened my mouth and he dropped that sucker in there. And I, I started chewing the earthworm thinking the earthworm would get my intestine and he would lay eggs. And I'm thinking all this stuff. But uh, so as I'm swallowing, I'm chewing him up. My teammates are freaking off. And so I just started doing push-ups and looking at him and kind of acting like I was going crazy. Well, that was just to break up the morale. That was just for a, a, a laugh. And the practice is over. And the media was not allowed in the locker rooms in Japan. So I walk out of the locker room. And, and there, there's a 100 photographers taking my picture outside of the locker room. And I'm thinking to myself, uh-oh, what happened? What's going on here? And they all had smiles on their face. Faces. So th- I, I figured out somebody told them. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't you know? So I'm searching around. I looked in my coat. I had, a, I had a toothpick in my coat pocket. So I pulled out the toothpick and I started picking my teeth in front of all these <laughs> ah, guys. Taking pictures. Beautiful. And I went, oh, <laughs> and they cracked up. The next day, seven major publications in Tokyo, there was my picture on the front page. And, it's, and my, one of my buddies told me, crazy American eats worms. <laughs> Did they make a cartoon too of you like facing a giant worm? Oh. Like, oh. Yeah, they did. They the players brought those in and, and they showed me some of the stuff they were putting in there and it just cracked me up. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't get away you couldn't get away with that in America. But I laughed and I said, Oh my god, these people so they they really got a got a kick out of it. They sent me my pink slip after we won the Japan series, first time in twenty five years, and I cried because I was thinking, Man, mm. I'm gonna stay here the rest of my career. And, and take care of my family with this kind of cake, man. That's good money. And so they, they fired me. And then I only played one year there. But even now, up to today, at 23, the fans still remember me because of the earthworm. Eating the earthworm was something that no one ever did there. And so for me, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And Rex, you know, I've been fortunate enough uh, to go over with the Fanatic. I've been over there, I guess, uh, four or five times. Um, and it is funny. I, the Fanatic has his hot dog launcher here. He's always wanted to put, you know, convert it to a sushi launcher and, sh- and shoot some of the, you know, crazy uh, raw fish in- into the crowd. The Tokyo Dome never <laughs> happened. But, but, but Rex, they never uh, brought you back over for um, the American Japanese series, you know, that happens every other year. No, uh-uh. so huh. but anyway, hey, since you since you brought up that uh, your hot uh, the, the fanatic hot dog shooting machine that he had, uh, so how I got discovered and, and started my television career after my baseball career was right there in Philly in '98 or is it '97? '97, maybe halfway through the year, we were 35 games out of first place. Terry Francona's first year managing the Phillies. Yeah. And so Good Morning America comes to Philadelphia yes. and they're doing a story with the Phillies about, about um, you know, what motivates you guys? You know, you're 35 games out and we're not even at the All-Star break yet. You know, and so they were asking Schilling and Dalton and they were talking to Mordini and they were interviewing all these, you know, star players. And then they came to me and they asked me that question and I got a little offended. I go, what? Are you kidding me? These people paid paid me good a good salary to come here to play for them, and for some of these people that can't hardly uh, afford a ticket, they come here. What do you think I got? 
two gears, three gears. There's only one way we play. We don't give in. Our careers are so short. Anyway, I fed them full, man, and I was a little on the edge uh, with that questioning. And then that night, I hit a accidentally hit a home uh, game winning home run off Tom Glavin, <laughs> yeah. and, and so so they came to me after the game and they said, "Hey, will you meet us in the morning at six o'clock?" And I go, "Ooh, six o'clock? That's a little early for ballplayers, but but good, but ABC." Man, I'll put my suit on. I'll come and stand at home plate at Veterans Stadium. Home plate at Hey, hey, oh. Hud, I was with you that morning. If you remember, we're both standing at okay. home. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. So, so, so this is. So they told me to bring a baseball glove. So I was, I was uh, uh, in my suit. My, I had my, my 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 nice dress shoes on, and I wasn't. It was six o'clock in the morning, and, and I was nursing a sore hamstring a little bit at the time. But I had no idea that that the the, the power of that Oscar mm. Mayer Wiener shooting thing could shoot the thing about 100 feet in the air. So I ran out to the mound after the interview was over, and they go, hey, yeah, we're going to catch a, uh, a hot dog from the Fanatic. Sure, no problem. Had my glove on. <laughs> right. What could go wrong? The wind catches it. The wind catches it. And, man, I had to take off, and I had to put it in another gear to, to get to the, to, the, to the hot dog. And here it is. I got to catch this thing. I'm not going to drop it. And my hand, he starts tightening up on me. I'm thinking, oh, boy. Gary Francona finds out that I hurt my hammy running after a hot dog, man, I'm in trouble. So fortunately it didn't it didn't hurt, but then I made the catch on the dead run. Okay. So I catch it, no big deal, and I'm walking back to home plate. And I don't know if you remember this, Tom, but but the, the production team was all laughing, cracking up on the ground. They were laughing. They were laughing. I'm going, What happened? What I do? What what happened? And they said, That was great live TV. Yeah, baby. We loved it. Thank you. So, okay, no big deal. Went, went back home. Couple, two or three weeks later, I get a call from ABC saying, we want you to be a correspondent with Charles Gibson at, oh, at, in the post. Wow. Tremendous. Okay. Yeah, so see that moment and coming to Philly and just be, and just saying yes and going out and just, and just having fun and, and doing that got me the break I needed to for the last 40, or I don't know how many years I've been out of baseball since 98. I've been, I've been in television doing, doing baseball. So yeah. I have a great debt of gratitude for the fight bills. Even though it was a rough time uh, when I was there, it still was a blessing to be there. Well, yeah, and a gratitude for the hot dog launcher. That's awesome. No, and HUD, what I remember about that, and John, you, here we are at 6 o'clock in the morning. The, the, it's still dark out. They had the lights on at the vet, but the ground crew had prepared home plate. They had, you know, raked the, the dirt. The, the lines were down, you know, painted the uh, home plate because it's national TV, you know. And there's HUD, and, you know, usually, and you know this, HUD, you know, you ask a player to, you know, be here at, you know, at the ballpark at six in the morning, it's like, oh my gosh, you know. But I, I remember standing there, and you were talking about how awesome and how much you appreciated, you know, being like a leadoff hitter or being the first one to step into that dirt that nobody has touched, and just, you know, you, you went off. I remember that morning about, and that's why I knew, man, this guy's a great dude because you know he just appreciates being here, and uh, you know, and every day in baseball, you can just tell you you love which uh, I always oh. will remember that morning, Hud. Uh, thank you, because that's one of my favorite moments. But really, the best was when Jim Salisbury, the, the excellent Inquirer sports writer, uh, sat down with me in spring training before I even got to Philly for opening day. And, and I shared with him about Cade. We just had a little boy with Down syndrome, Jennifer and I did. And I remember sharing that with him and how compassionate he was and how he just listened and how – 
he wrote. And so you know, several weeks go by, and I'm wondering to myself, I wonder when that article will ever come out. So sure enough, we get to, to back to Philly. We started on the road that year in 97. We started on the road, and so we hit all the cities out there. So probably 12 games. And I was, I was 0 for, 0 for 15 or so. And here I am, the high-priced uh, player for the Phillies. And, and, and Terry Francona, he hired me to babysit the 12 rookies that he had. That was, mm-hmm. that was the whole deal. Yeah. That yeah. was my, so anyway, uh, so, um, um, I, I, I get to the ballpark and, you know, when they, when the inquirer came over with their photographer, you know, we were, we were, uh, going to get a picture with Kate and I all dressed in this nice little, little outfit and I had an outfit on, but I was changing him and the guy was taking pictures of him and they, so here it is opening day. Philadelphia Inquirer. This is back when we when, when there weren't too many computers. There were everybody still read the, the the Inquirer. So on front page, it had a picture of me holding my son up, and he didn't have a shirt on, and he, he's a little baby, a little baby, and I was guzzling him, and that that was the picture on the front page. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no! And sure enough, I go to the ballpark that day, and I hadn't. I was over over Philly so far, and so I get in the box, sixty seven thousand fans screaming on opening day and I got a little jam shot of Sterling Hitchcock a lefty jabbed me to hit it over the shortstop's head so for me I still could run at that age I was old but I still could run so I took off out of that box and I had had issues with a hamstring earlier but my other hamstring blew on that particular hit and <sighs> so I had I was at second base and man you know what I was I felt bad you know John Bukovich I love Buki Buki was so cool he looks at me I'm in second base and he goes oh Oh, she a little hurt. Is she something wrong? <laughs> you know, yeah, Brace, is that, is that Vukovic right there? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so, so I had to come off the field. Oh, and it wasn't good. So, you know, the, the fans, they put me where I should have been. They, they put me in there up there with Santa Claus, and they let me have it. And I, and, and I, remember, I remember the feeling I had. But then it just went right back to all of a sudden now, the next few days when I got to the ballpark, I'm getting buckets of fan mail. Like, like, you know, like uh, uh, Dalton or Schilling or, you know, star players of that team would get from the fans. Buckets of it. I got a huge – and I'm sitting in the middle of that Philly locker room opening that fan mail, and these fans are saying – they're sending pictures of their kids. There's nothing – nobody's sending me my autograph or cards to autograph and send back to them. They're all sending me letters of congratulations and telling me, my kid does this. Your kid's going to be so special. Congratulations. And, and up to that point, Jennifer and I, whenever we tell our friends or anything about our new son, they would always say, because they didn't know what to say, oh, we're sorry. And I, I, I that hurt because I just had a little boy and people were telling me they're sorry for what? So I never, I never lost it on anybody or anything. I just kind of t- took that in and, and kind of, you know, said, well, they just don't know what to say. But the Philadelphia fans knew what to say. So there I am weeping, opening these letters. And, you know, we didn't have any cell phones then either. And so the guys in between batting brackets, the players in the locker room, would all read their newspapers and their sporting news and stuff. And so I was, I was getting caught up in my mail and getting caught up with all this congratulations. And I was weeping. I, I feel like weeping today because it was, I remember the feeling. So I looked up. And I, I put my, my cards down. And I looked up around me. And there was Dalton. There was these guys. And they all had the paper. And they put it back up again, but they were all watching me over the paper. You know, they were looking at me. The paper was yeah. down, and they were acting like they were reading, but they were watching me open this mail and getting emotional. 
And so when I, when I looked up at them and they all put their you know, paper up, I felt like they weren't watching. I went, man, fellas, hey, I don't mean to bring the clubhouse down, man. I, I, I just, I just, you know, this is kind of a, uh, a grieving time for me. It's just, I'm still, I'm still processing having a little boy with Down syndrome. Darren Dalton stood up. He comes over to me and he goes, Hud, we got your back. You are a fighting Phil. We love you. You're a huge part of this team. We will do anything and everything we can for you. And I'll never forget that. That's, well, that, 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 that's, that's Darren Dalton. Yeah, too. and I no, love no, how no, you no, turn no. that around. And, and Rex, you had that, you know, the, the, the charity function, team up for Down syndrome. And, you know, we, we, I alluded to earlier in the very beginning, I said, I've stolen one of your, uh, or borrowed or stolen, however you want to say it. Uh, you were in Reader's Digest for your positive attitude because you had a quote that said, be a fountain, not a drain. And I've taken that for the last 30 years and ran with it. People attribute that quote to me, but they really should be me giving that attribute, you know, attribute to you. So uh, be a fountain. But that, that golf outing, going back to that, yeah. uh, remember that you, had, Bruce a, Hornsby yeah, you had a Waynesboro golf club uh, here in Philadelphia area, and you had Bruce Hornsby play yeah. on the golf course, right? Remember you had him set up like, yeah, on the, first, like outside the 18th green. It was unbelievable. But he no, had, I, 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 but he had a bad arm, right? I, I went to the dinner. I didn't go to the golf outing. I went to the dinner, and, and he played the piano with a bad arm. So did he play golf? Because didn't he have a broken? I don't think he played golf. I think he played he played piano. Well, he the, played the piano with yeah. one hand. Right. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he, had an he had an injury, but you know, so he so when I asked him about the gig originally, I said, "Hey, man, uh, Bruce, now I got to, I know I got to know him several years earlier. You know, when you're a ball player, sometimes you know a lot of, a lot of these players, Getty Lee, a lot of rock stars, or people, uh, movie stars, like to come to the ballpark. So you get to meet guys like that, which is one of the many, many wonderful things about being a major leaguer. And so he was my buddy, and he goes, "Oh, yeah, you know what? As a matter of fact, I'm I'm auditioning some new new bandmates, and we need to play together. So yeah, we'd be happy to come out there to Philly." And so I remember playing. And they're warming up during the, you know, we're all golfing and we're warming up. We're here in this band. You know, this is a big league band. And they stayed. And the, once the event was over, um, all the all the people say, but what blew me away was the, the Philly fans and, you know, and their, and their hearts, they're, they're so philanthropic. That there was everyone there. The, the Flyers were there. Hextall, Lindros, all, some of their football players. I mean, there was everybody from all the sports line was there. And you'd have thought that I was some kind of rock star, but really what it was is people were rallying behind Team Up for Down Syndrome. Awesome. And so that started it. That started our organization. We still run it today. It was 27 years now. And we're so thankful that we can, that we had Cade now that we can, we can share uh, his joy with others and also help the, the special needs community wherever we go. And That's so great. it's just been a huge blessing. We love it. We're so thankful to still be in baseball and to, to, to tell our stories and share them that other people might benefit from. That's great. Hey, hey Rex, well, I, you got to tell the story. One of my favorite stories uh, is uh, when you're playing for the Angels, you played second base, and you were playing in the historic game where Cal Ripken broke the Ironman record. Tell, tell what happened in that game. Oh, boy, 21-31 now. We found out, I found out in April of that season in 1995. I was reading a sporting news and it said, if there's no rainouts or there's no game cancellations, the California Angels will be the team that's in Baltimore when, when he breaks the record. And I saw that in April. And I was going, oh my gosh. So that event's in September. So I go to the traveling secretary in April and I said, hey, uh, uh, Mr. Cox, hey, could you please um, get me three extra rooms outside of my room 
in Baltimore in September. And he was kind of a, a an older fella, and he was like, wow, kid, uh, that's a long ways away. That's, that's four or five months from now. What do you, what do you got going? I said, well, we have a, a family party and a family function that, that we want to attend. So the year goes by, no rain out, no, no delays. And, and, and we're two weeks away from going to Baltimore, and the traveling secretary comes up to me and goes, hey, kid, um, are you willing to sell, it, sell us any of those rooms back? Because you can't get a room in Baltimore. There's no room. And I said, Frank, how many months ago did I order these rooms? He said, wow, well, five months ago. Yeah, okay, no, they're mine. I want them. So I knew this was going to be a historical game, and not just when he tied it, but when he broke it. And so I wanted to share it with my, my closest friends and my family. So I, I, I was able to get them all tickets. They all were there. And sure enough, and I had asked Cal Ripken for a bat, a souvenir bat, you know, earlier, or way earlier in the season. And he never sent it over or nothing. And he's always really good about that. Okay, so I'm flying. Uh, we're, we're flying there. My great friend Mark Langston, left-handed pitcher for the, for the Angels, I said, Langley. I, got, I just got a good feeling Cal's going to send me a bat during this weekend. You know, and Langley goes, huh, really? We know you think a lot of yourself, but come on. What makes you think that Junior is going to be thinking of you in a historical game? The president's going to be there. Anybody who's in baseball, dude, huh, hang with him. So I laughed, whatever, get to the ballpark, and this is the night before, I believe, I think it was the first game, he ties it, uh, and we play, and I'm in the lineup. That's what was shocking. Because I usually just hit against left-handed pitching, but there was a righty going. I think it was Moose. Moose, and then uh, uh, so I played in the game. Of course, went over four. Now the next day is the game where he ties it, or he, he that was the game when he broke it, and they pushed him out of the dugout. Remember that? The whole story. Sure, oh, of course. Yeah, never happened. An iconic moment in, in our history of baseball. And I'm at second base, and I'm watching him do this lap. And I'm watching him go to center field, left field, down the third baseline, coming off. And now he's going in front of our dugout, stopping and shaking hands with, with, with my teammates. And I'm telling myself, wouldn't you know it? You're out here. You're missing the moment. <laughs> so I, I wanted to run across the field and go into the dugout, but I didn't because it wasn't about me. It was about just suck, sucking up the moment and soaking all that up. So game starts. Game resumes. It, but that was the fifth inning. That's when when uh, right. the game's official in yeah, baseball. Official. And, so, and they're so using what, commemorative baseballs, correct? Oh, yeah. So, so, so the, the, the baseballs were stitched in orange, and there was a big stamp, number eight, on the, on the ball. So I, I walked up one of my at-bats, and, and I, went, I asked the home plate umpire, Larry Young, Larry, hey, hey, can you give me a ball? He goes, nope, they're all counted. You can either catch a, fi- a, a third out or you get a foul ball. Come on, man, really? So I remember earlier in the game, Tim Salmon was our right fielder. It was a pop-up, a shallow right. There's two outs, it's shallow, and I'm, I'm playing second base. So I go back and I wave. I'm waving my hands, you know, let me out there. No, I got it, I got it. And Salmon calls me off for the third out, so he gets his souvenir. On the way back to the dugout, I'm saying some unkind words to him. you got to be kidding me. That was mine. Did you not see that? And he had a smile on his face and just kept running saying, Hug, you'll get one. And he, and, so, so that's how important those things were. So the fifth inning is official. Uh, the inning starts. The, the the bases end up getting loaded, and there's two outs. And the guy at first base on ball four was was Rafael Palmero. He's going to he's he's coming to second base now, just walking because they walk him loaded. And he looks at me and he goes, "Hud, the baseball gods are here. 
look who's coming up with the bases loaded right after the fifth inning when the streak became official. I mean, you couldn't write this up any better. So I look and go, oh, my gosh. So I walk back to second base praying like I always do and I always did. God, could you please have him hit me the ball? I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry to trouble you right now. But I would really love a souvenir off of his bat. First pitch, jam shot in on his hands. He flares one out to right center field. And I turned at second base and took off and looked up at that thing once. And I looked, I looked down to see where I was running. I'm going full speed. And I'm telling myself, you got to break your neck. You got to catch this ball. And so my speed ended up carrying me underneath the ball on the dead run. And I caught it. And when I caught it, I shook it. Like, I can't believe it. It just happened. I got, I got the third out. God answered my prayer. <laughs> so I shook it one, two, three times. I shook it in disbelief that I had it. And the crowd in Camden Yards booed me. You think you're showing up cow. Yeah, right. that's what they did. Yeah. So I was like a little blown away by it. But they thought I was showing him up. Ended up getting that souvenir. I ran right by my dugout uh, teammates. We were in a pennant race then, too. We were in the race. And I left them all hanging. But I wanted to secure my baseball. And as I was running up to the locker room, I forgot the president was there, Mr. Uh, president Clinton. So anywhere in a ballpark, you don't run when the president's around. So I'm running up the tunnel, and these Secret Servicemen step right in the middle. Right? I mean, they blocked me from going to the locker room. And I went, oh, hey, fellas. <laughs> I just got my glove. Where did I get the baseball? So they let me in. I hit, I hit that baseball. And then after the game, wouldn't you know it, I'm, I'm sharing that whole story with the media. And here comes the bat boy with a, with a bat and said, here, this came over from the other side. And it was a bat signed by Cal Ripken. Oh, wow, beautiful. That's so awesome. not only did I get a ball, he remembered. He wanted to make that bat really special. Oh, man. And I have a special place for that bat that he signed me the night he broke Lugaric's record. That's oh. awesome. And, and also, Rex, your wife sang the national anthem. Might be the only wife I know of. Uh, of a player that sang the national anthem for the Phillies. You, she yeah. was out there. You helped You helped her out, right, well, Jen? uh, Jennifer was a little nervous, and I remember she saying, John, can you sing with me? I'm a little nervous, and I'm forgetting the words. And I said, well, Jennifer, I don't really sing. You don't and then sing. And she said, just mouth the words. I'll be looking at you. So then, Rex, all of a sudden, I said, I said, sure, without really thinking about it. Next thing you know, the pressure's on me because I could have sent Jennifer down the wrong road, you know. <laughs> but but luckily, we got through it. But she's a oh, but she's a recording artist, right? She's she's recorded some albums. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know what? So she, I, I married up, you know. And really? I guy, for some reason, she chose my profession over hers because we had to give up one of them. We couldn't do uh, what we both wanted to do, in, in order to have a successful marriage, so she she put hers on the shelf. And but but she still did stuff. She dabbled, and she every team we played for, she would tell them, "Hey, look, uh, I, I mean, tell tell them I'll sing the anthem." So, so it was kind of, you know, she had an opera style voice. The, 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 what, what knocked the socks off the people were in Montreal. Because, you know, when you're an opera singer, you, you learn how to sing in different languages. Yeah. She could sing in French. Mm. And so she sang the, 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 the Canadian anthem in French before a game in Montreal, and the people freaked out. Oh, they were like, beautiful. what? A player's wife is singing our anthem in French? And it was flawless. And thank God, because. I didn't. I wasn't that good for the Expos as well as many other teams, and I needed favor. And Jennifer got me favor there because the people were freaking over. So uh, praise God, we just celebrated 35 years, Brace. And, and, congratulations, and Rex. Baseball, yeah, that that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my baseball career. Meeting her in Columbus, Ohio, 
and tricking her into marrying me <laughs> and, and to, to give us four kids and to have help me uh, get my 10 years in the majors was unbelievable. So thank you for letting me share that. You're welcome. Uh, well, Tom and I beautiful. married up as well. So. Yeah, we did. Uh, it's beautiful, Hut. All right, so <laughs> Braze is waving his uh, piece of paper over here. He works real hard on this quiz. Uh, so, Rex, uh, I, when's the last time you took a test? Probably not. Probably high school. Is that about right? <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you from my, from my record, uh, it wasn't that good. <laughs> well, I think you're going to do well here. It's about yourself. It's multiple choice. There's eight questions. Eight questions, right, John? And, Rex, we like to say that you get uh, you, you need to get six out of eight. And uh, I've got a shirt that we're going to send you if you uh, are able to get six out of eight. All right? Okay, okay. Are you ready? Let's do it. Thanks for the visit. Let's get down to business. Now here's your chance to show how much you really know. He might get grumpy if he can't stop you with Brazier's Quiz. Your first question. Yeah, you buddy. went to Bullard High School in Fresno, California. Which of these celebrities did not go to Bullard? So three of them went to Bullard. One did not. Okay, you got to tell me which one did not. So here are the four celebrities. Kevin Federline, who's the entertainer, dancer, former husband of Britney Spears. Joe Cooper, NFL kicker who won a Super Bowl with the Giants in 1986. Kevin Sweeney, who was a quarterback at Fresno State, as well as the Cowboys and the 49ers, and actor-comedian Don Knotts. Which one did not go to Bullard High School? Don Knotts. Don Knotts did not. Did <laughs> Don Knotts did not. Did not go to Bullard High School. You pulled that school. one out of your That's ear. That's good. Don Knotts. Everyone right. knows Don Knotts. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Number two. You're hey, one for one, Rex. <laughs> All those other guys are good friends of mine, too, by the way. Oh, oh, is that right? Tremendous. Oh, okay. That was an easy one. All right. Nice. You were drafted in the first round in 1978, as we mentioned. Uh, which one of these players was not a first-round draft pick that year? So three of them were first-round draft picks in 78. One was not. Which one was not? Okay. Cal Ripken, Lloyd Mosby, Kirk Gibson, Bob Horner. Cal Ripken Jr. Cal Ripken Jr. was a second-round pick. You are right. How about that? Two for two. That yeah. same year, hey, though, look, huh? Look, hey, hey, Tom, can you believe the Yankees made him? They took me over Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> That's awesome. And Jr., Jr. would have changed the history of the New York Yankees, man. <laughs> so that was a hey, Rex, he should have been it. asking you for your bet. Exactly. You, 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 <laughs> the Yankees got the wonder dog, man. Right. Come on. Right. All right. All right. Two I'm for not, two. Two for two. two for 1979, two. you played for the – take yourself way back in the time machine. 1979, you played for the Fort Lauderdale Yankees in single A. Which one of these guys was not a teammate that year? So three of them were teammates. One was not. Okay, Who's, Who wasn't your teammate? Pat Tabler, Frankie Garland, Steve Balboni, Willie McGee. Pat Tabler, Frankie guy. Garland, yeah. Steve Balboni, Willie McGee. So Frankie Garland Frank is Garland. correct, and he's one of our lawyers. Yeah, he works so in the legal department. He did not so. play for you back in 1979. Nope. All right, you were three for three, Rex. Yeah, Very he's good. on a roll. All right, in 1993, you played for the, we talked about it, the Yakult uh, Swallows, the Japanese Central League, winning the Japanese Series Championship. By the way, Rex, just as a side note, <laughs> um, down at Fantasy Camp this year, someone asked Charlie Manuel, you know, did they have a song for you when you came up to bat in Japan? And Charlie, in front of like 150 people, said, he's like, yeah, here's what they sang. And next thing you know, he sang the song in Japanese and sang for about two minutes. And like about two days before that, he told me he didn't really speak Japanese. And now he's singing his, his song that they did. So I guess did they have a song for you in Japan? Did they sing That's a song awesome. for you? Yeah, isn't that great? Oh, yeah. Every, 
hey, you, when you come up four times a game, you, you hear it every single night for, uh, you know, 81 games or however many games they play. But, but that is so good that Charlie could do it in Japanese. I can only do it in English. Yeah, so that was pretty – all right, so you played for the Yakult Swallows. Which one of these was not a teammate? So uh, three were a teammate back then. One was not, okay? Uh, I'm gonna okay. Tr- hopefully my pronunciation is good here. All right, uh, Kats- Katsumi Hirasawa, Jack Howe, Masaharu Morimoto, and Tomohito Ito. So which one was not? So I'll say them again. Kat- Katsumi Hirasawa, Jack Howe, Masaharu Morimoto – or Tomohito Ito. And by the way, the one is one. Jack Howe? No, no, the second one from uh, the last. Oh, Masahiro, Ma, uh, yes, Masaharu Morimoto. You are correct, because Morimoto is an Iron Chef who's got a great say, sushi, restaurant, <laughs> sushi restaurant in Philadelphia. So... I have I have a great recall of every team I played on and every teammate. That's the greatest thing about baseball is your teammates and getting to, getting to know people. Yep. All right. Well, I I think everyone would have a hard time forgetting you, Rex. Uh, all right. <laughs> you are four for four. Number five for the night. This, this might be one of the harder ones for the nineteen ninety seven Phillies of which you were on. Who led the team in hits that year? With 163, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna let you use Tom Burgoyne, who doesn't know this quiz, okay. as a lifeline. If you want to use him as your lifeline, you might not want to because he's not a very good lifeline. Ooh, somebody uh, actually had 167 uh, 163 hits, on that team. hits oh. in 1997. Was it Mickey Morandini, Scott Rowland, Rico Bronia, or Greg Jeffries? So Mickey Morandini, Scott Rowland, Rico Bronia, or Greg Jeffries? Uh, no lifeline needed. I'm going with the Hall of Famer, Scotty Boy. No, it was actually Mickey, Mickey. Morandini. I, I was I would have guessed him in hits. Yeah, that was Scott's really? Yeah, that was Scott's second year, right? Yes, that was his second year. Yeah. Uh all right, that's oh, still you're oh. still on a good roll. You're four for five. Uh Okay. I think you're gonna do well in the last two. This one this might one might be tough. Uh you mentioned that you played wide receiver for Notre Dame, or you almost played wide receiver for Notre Dame. Uh, by the way, were you a uh, – I wanted to ask you this question. Were you a slot guy or were you more of like a big receiver, like an A.J. Brown type? Yeah, I was a wide receiver. You're more like a vertical. Yeah, a white guy that could run was rare. Okay. All right, so uh, who is the all-time leading wide receiver for Notre Dame in catches with 271 and yards, 3,686? So who's the all-time leading wide receiver for Notre Dame – Again, I'll let you, since you didn't use your lifeline this time, you can, mm. if you want, you can use it if it's going to help. I don't know about my Notre All right, Dame. was it Jeff Samarja? Was it Golden Tate? Was it Michael Floyd? Or was it Tim Brown? Was this in 1978? No, 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 no. This is their, just all the time. all-time leading oh, wide receiver overall. in overall. catches yeah. and yards for Notre Dame. Mm. Uh, was it, it's still in the record books. Is it Jeff Samarja, yeah. Golden Tate, Michael Floyd, or Tim Brown? Samarja. I would have gotten this wrong. What, what would you have said, Tom? I would have said Tim Brown. And it's Michael Floyd, believe it or not. Wow. Michael Floyd uh, crushed. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Whoa. You're fine. You're fine because you're going to end up strong here. You're going to get that T-shirt. All right. You are good friends, we mentioned, with Bruce Hornsby. Where was he born? Okay. Was it Charlotte, North Carolina, Williamsburg, Virginia, Charleston, South Carolina, or Athens, Georgia? So was it Charlotte, North Carolina? Williamsburg, Virginia. Bam. Nice. All right. You Why are... did I think he was from Louisiana? No, no he's, from, he's from Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Okay, I shouldn't know that. All right. Now you got one more. You get this one, you, are, uh, you win the T-shirt uh, in our forever gratitude. Which team 
did you hit the most home runs in your career with? You hit 30 home runs for one of these teams. Was it the Phillies, the Expos, the Cardinals, or the Angels? <laughs> you mean, heck, 29 of them had to scrape the back of the wall. Uh, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say when I the, the year the season after my Japanese year I had my best three years with the Angels I'd say the Angels the Angels the is Angels. correct and Rex you qualify you nice. win a T-shirt if it's a backstage Burgoyne and Brazier oh. T-shirt that you'll be very excited. he'll cherish it John. you know maybe we'll send it we'll send one for Cade how about that you want us to send one for Cade ding, ding, ding. yeah yeah send him a large ding 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 ding, ding love ding, ding. to hear that <laughs> hey Briggs, that was fun man I appreciate that you bringing up some of my my past there but a lot of a lot of great names and, and a lot of fun and bringing up some great memories, Brady. Hey, Hud, I, when, when I saw you this uh, this year, I said, you know, because remember we, I had you on the pregame show, but I said, we got to get – I turned to Tom and said, we got to get Hud on the on the podcast. He's <laughs> just too beautiful a character uh-huh. to not have well, on the podcast. Well, we appreciate you doing it. Uh, you know, we, uh, we love interviewing uh, Hud, you know, people who are passionate, people who love what they do, appreciate what they do, and uh, you're really at the top of the list. And uh, I know you – you know. I know you do a lot of motivational speaking, and when you do, like, what, what's your what's your message? Oh, my message basically, if it's a, if it's a company that that, that sells, that they they they're, they're sales people, how easy it is to get to know your product, to, to go out there and to sell your product, you know, to talk about it. it's all about the presentation, uh, you know, learning things like that. Also, like to talk encouragement too. Uh, you know, for kids, I love speaking at junior colleges, and and also uh, I spoke in front of a thousand kids uh in nebraska the other day and they wanted it was a broadcasting class and they wanted to know about different things in broadcasting so it's it varies i mean i have a lot of experience in a lot of things love sharing about being a father and how hard that is how to be a a good husband i mean anybody can be a husband or a father but can you be good at it and that is challenging so there's a lot of different things that i love to share um from from practical experience now that i'm in my 60s but, but feel like I'm in my 30s. I just wish I could still uh, play baseball because that was the greatest thing that ever happened. It's so fun to compete against the world's greatest. And, and to be able to, to call Philly my home for a couple of seasons was really something we'll never forget. And we've been lifted up ever since then. But, guys, thank you so much for giving me a chance to share again with the Phillies. Awesome. Well, thanks uh, for joining us again, Hud. We'll see you next time you come to town, all right? All right, Rex. Can't wait, man. Thanks, you, you guys come to our house next year. Come, come to the uh, to Coffin Stadium and see how beautiful our bar is. I think a road trip could be good it. to Kansas City, Tom. What we'll do, you do it. Let's do it. Have a great holiday. All right. Thanks, Hud. The great Rex right. Hudler. Thanks, Rex. The great Rex Hudler, John. How much do we love that guy? He's the best. Well, he was, and again, he, he was somebody who only played for a year with the Phillies. Yeah. But he made such an impact, as he mentioned, with, you know, having Cade Down syndrome and, and the charity they had behind that and, uh, again, he, he was, I, I've been telling Rex Hudler stories since 1997 Yeah, and just, he's just one of these, as you saw, heard right there, he is a larger than life character and, uh, he is one of a kind. I can't, I, I, I think I want to move to Kansas city and just listen to their broadcast <laughs> right. every night because how, like he has so many stories to tell too, but I just love his energy and, uh, man, it was just, uh, well, great and they used, I mean, he's been, he was a broadcaster for these yeah. now the, for the Kansas city Royals before then. Longtime broadcast for the Angels. Right. He was also on a lot of the PlayStation 2, PlayStation yeah. Portable games. I wanted to uh, ask him about that, actually. Yep, uh, Xbox. Um, so he's done a lot of that. And just, just again, what, what a character, a complete character. Awesome. Love all right, guy. John. Well, let's do this again some other time, all right? Sounds Thanks good. for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time on Phillies Backstage.